Amen. Well, what great reason we have to sing this morning as we rejoice in our risen Savior who has come. And so uh, as we are rejoicing, let us then now go uh, to the Lord in prayer. And as I pray, just you come as well before the Lord and let's just pray to him together. Let's pray. Father, we come right now, Lord, and we come and we rejoice because we know and we believe that Christ has risen. And He has risen indeed. We praise You, Lord, of heaven and earth. You are our God. And there is no other God but You. And in Your mercy upon mercies, You would not leave us where we are, but You would pursue us, You would love us, and You would send Your Son, Jesus, into the world to save us. We thank You. And Father, we pray as we turn to Your Word, we know, Lord, that even as we do that, that the devil would try to squelch hope. He would try to squelch trust. He would try to squelch faith. Even as he has always done, even as we see in Genesis 3 where he said, did God really say? And so, Father, I pray for the people here and everyone listening or watching. Just ask, Lord, that you would Help them not to be deceived, not to listen to that voice that of the liar, the deceiver, the one who would have people be uh, killed, but instead may they hear your voice, the voice that can bring life. And may they not shrink back, but lean in and trust all your good, good word. And so may your word prevail this morning. May it prevail upon our hearts and our minds and our lives. May we receive it and may we believe it and may we rejoice in it. And so, Father, we look to you and we pray your blessing now upon this time in your word as we turn to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning is an odd morning. So, for the first time in years, the saints are not physically gathering together. Churches are mostly empty, even if you could see it from my perspective, there are really only a few here, and and so we are empty here as well, and the truth is, you know, the world, regardless of whether you know, what you think of this virus, uh, the world has been shaken. Yet, yet, even now, people all around the world are rejoicing. <laughs> Why? Yes, millions are not gathering together in churches. But we are gathering in spirit because we have a reason to rejoice this morning. We are rejoicing 
in the Savior who has come, who has died, and Him who has risen from the dead. And so, in the midst of all this, even as we have churches all around with, that are empty, we rejoice. And so, you in your home, as you listen to this, we have reason to rejoice. However, right now, you may be watching or listening to this, and you're floundering. So, the world has been shaken, and you have been shaken as well. This, this has come at you in ways that you never even thought it would have challenged you. You thought the world was one way, but you thought you were in control. But, but now, you're finding out, well, you know, I'm really not as in control as I thought I was. I'm not, you know, the one who is Lord over this life, over this person, over meaning, over the world. And only a, even a few days, the whole world has been, you know, thrown, you know, amok. And, and so have you. And so you're here and you're looking for hope in the midst of all this. But even now, as you hear all this, you are floundering and even doubting as we are proclaiming this message of hope, and it is a message of hope. And so you're asking questions like, can there really be a message of hope in all of this? Can all this that is being preached from church after church and preached throughout the world, can this really be true? Can this message that this preacher is preaching really be for me? Yes, I've thought this and I've thought that all my life, but is this something that is not just abstract, not just something to make people feel better, but is this something that is true? Well, I will tell you, it is true. And there is hope. And it really is for you. Well, there's a man in Scripture who perhaps, like you, you know, doubted. Can all this really be true? What I'm, what I'm seeing or hearing from others? Well, this man, if you are familiar with your Bibles, is a man by the name of Thomas. And we, of course, know him uh, by the common name, Doubting Thomas. Thomas, he was one of the twelve who followed Jesus during his three years of ministry. But when Jesus rose from the grave and he appeared to his disciples, Thomas, he was not with them when all this happened. In fact, when he's told by the disciples what happened, he tells them, he says, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. But all that would change. Eight days later, while Thomas was inside with the other disciples, Jesus would come and he would appear to them a second time. And Jesus, he comes And as you can imagine, Thomas is probably taking all this in in wonder. And Jesus turns to Thomas and says, 
put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas, again in wonder, he exalts and replies in faith and belief. He says, my Lord and my God. But you know what? According to tradition, Thomas's story doesn't end there. The now believing Thomas would go on on fire for the gospel. He would go proclaiming a gospel that he doesn't simply think is true, but a gospel that he knows is true. A gospel that he is willing to die for because he knows it's true. He would go proclaiming a gospel throughout the area and he would even go as far as North Africa and India. And there in India, Thomas would, like the other apostles, become a martyr for the sake of the gospel. And he would be speared around 70 AD. And so my question is, why would Thomas... And why would really all of the apostles outside of the Apostle John not only risk their lives, but willingly, even gladly give their lives for the sake of the gospel? Why would each apostle outside of John die a martyr's death? Because this is not some fanciful tale. It's true. All of it is true. And so this Easter morning, let's look at all of it. Let's look at this message that is a message of hope. Let's look at the whole gospel. And so to do that, let's turn then to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'll be reading here from verses 1 through 11. And so in these verses, we are given the essential gospel and the resurrected Christ. And so may God use his word this morning to bring life to the dead. May he bring hope to the hopeless and inflame the faith and the lives of his children. So may God bless the reading of his word. Now, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than five hundred at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. 
But, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Amen. Well, here in 1 Corinthians 15, we are given the whole gospel. The content of Paul's preaching was the gospel. Paul, he began the epistle of Corinthians in the first few chapters focusing on the gospel. In chapter 2, he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And now, Paul, he comes full circle as he is coming to really the last few chapters of Corinthians, again, to lift up the gospel and the whole gospel plainly here and really to answer questions as well that the Corinthians have regarding the resurrection. And that's why, if you know this chapter, you know this whole chapter is devoted to, really, the resurrection and of Christ and of Christ's people. And so he tells them, Here, Paul does, that this is a gospel for yesterday, today, and forever. For believers, the gospel is the very ground we walk on. The moment our spiritual hearts start beating, and it will forever be our theme. It never ceases to be the very foundation upon which we live, we breathe, and we do everything we do. And it's this gospel that Paul is calling the Corinthians and us to remember. And so there are three ways here in these opening verses, verses 1 through 2, that we are exhorted here. And the first of these is that we are to be challenged by the gospel. We are to be challenged by the gospel. And so the gospel, it confronted and it challenged the cultural paradigm of the Corinthians' day. Like the myriad of questions that we face from our cultures today. Well, the Corinthians were facing a host of questions themselves. And they had one particular question that they were trying to understand among others as we, you know, as you read uh, Corinthians, you find that out. But here, Paul is addressing one specific question they have. And so, in their day, the Greeks believed that in the afterlife, the body was really done away with. And so, it was the soul that was immortal. And then, on the other hand, the Hebrews, they believed that the body would be resurrected. And so, not knowing how to respond, the Corinthians, they brought this issue to Paul. And so, how does Paul address this question? Well, he reminds them of the gospel in all of its fullness. He sees the gospel in the Word of God as sufficient to address our doubts to address philosophical challenges, and to address worldly arguments. He says in 2 Corinthians 10, For though we walk in the flesh, 
We are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so the gospel is what he preached. And just like the gospel challenged them in their day, it challenges us in our day. The gospel and the word of God are to transform and challenge the way that we see the world, how we see our families, how we see government, how we see meaning, how we see life, how we see death, how we raise our children, how we live, how we speak, how we act, how we believe. And so right off, let me urge you and urge us, let this challenge us. Let the gospel challenge you. Let it uncover who you are in the deeps, in the depths of who you are. Let it redefine and inform everything in your life. And that's what the gospel is intended to do. So let it challenge you. And second, we are exhorted to stand upon this gospel. This is the gospel in which you are to stand. I imagine here, you know, a picture of an immovable fortress. Let's, you know, let's call it gospel castle. Those within the castle are forever sure. They are forever fortified. They are forever safe. The armies, they come and they rise up and they come and then they go. They bring their weapons. They bring their strategies. They organize themselves in all varieties of ways. And they come with their worldviews. They come with their religions. And they come with their philosophies to bring down Gospel Castle. Yet, Gospel Castle remains unmoved. It still stands. And those within it remain firm. And so we say, for those who know Jesus Christ, we say like Martin Luther, here I stand, I can do no other. And so it is upon this gospel that we stand, regardless of the rumblings and ravings of death and of the devil, they are both defeated enemies. And they will not shake us, because they cannot shake the children of God. They do not and they will not have the last word. Christ has the last word. So stand upon this gospel. And then third, we are exhorted to be transformed by the gospel. Paul says that this gospel he preached is that which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being Saved. So when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, the gospel, it changes them, it is changing them, and it will change them. Another way to put 
this is that the gospel saved you, is saving you, and is going to save you. And this is exactly what Paul says here. It's the gospel which you received, past tense, in which you stand, present tense, and by which you are being saved, present and future tense. And so the gospel transforms us and keeps transforming us. And so the regular state of those who know Jesus Christ is still fighting against sin, still learning, still changing, still growing in understanding and applying God's Word, still needing the Word of God, and still looking to Christ as their all-satisfying treasure. And so it is that Paul, he says, and by which you are being saved, if. This may be one reason some don't like expositional preaching. It's because you have to deal with this word, if. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. And there are some, perhaps you're one of them, you have not held fast to this word. Well, God is calling you right now. If that is your life, if, if this is, none of this is indicative of you, you have a reason to tremble at hearing these words. If. And so, Paul, he is saying here that each piece and part of the gospel matters. To let loose of one part is to let loose of the whole of the gospel. Because the Corinthians, they were being pressured. Well, maybe the resurrection is something we don't really need to hold to in the end. I know I've even heard some say, oh, well, you know, of course I don't, of course I don't believe that Jesus really lived. He was... You know, or perhaps they believe he really lived, and they just say, well, I, I believe he lived, but he was just a historical kind of person. Or they'll say, of course, I don't believe he rose from the dead, but in, in, after saying all of these things, then they come and they end their sentence and say, but I'm still a Christian. Well, I would say either you have sorely been misled, Because that's where the Corinthians were here. Paul is correcting them. Or you are not a Christian at all. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, what is that word? It is the gospel. All of it. And so those who know Christ hold fast to the gospel in its entirety, and they hold fast because of Him who holds them fast. And so we come to this passage, and as we come to this passage, we need to rightly ask, is this me? Am I standing upon this gospel? Am I being transformed by this gospel still? Is it still my hope today, tomorrow, and forever. Our faith is not a dry, stagnant kind of faith. It is alive. It's breathing. 
and it's progressing. But in all this, as you're hearing all this, and perhaps you're the one floundering in hearing all these things, you're wondering, is all this true? I mean, is this, is this really a message of hope? Is this a message of hope for me? I'm not sure if I know Christ or not. I'm not sure I even know what the Gospel is. Well, let's, let's look at this Gospel then. What is the content of this Gospel? Now Paul, he sets plainly before us this Gospel as a first importance of the highest priority. Preeminent. And so he sets before us the essential Gospel. And so what follows is what Paul preached This essential gospel, this is what it proclaims. It proclaims the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And so first, we we see, hear, and say that Jesus really died. You can imagine that at the death of Jesus, that many, as they were seeing all this happen, they were seeing this man, they'd heard of him, they'd heard of his death, teachings, they'd heard of him preach, they'd heard him preach, they'd heard of his miracles, and they're thinking to themselves, well, (laughs) that was the end of him. Another fanatic and their fantastic stories come to an end, just like all these others that I've heard of. But no. Jesus was different. He really did the miracles. He really spoke the truth. He really was God and man. He really lived sinlessly and perfectly. He really loved the world and he really died for you. But the question is, why? Why did God send his son, his only son, into the world to die for us? Paul, he tells us why. That Christ died for our sins. He died for people and for a world living at odds with God. He died to atone, to pay for. He did no wrong. But he came to die, to pay for our sins your sins. He did no wrong. And He came to bear your punishment, my punishment, in our place. So that we would be made right with God. And so our relationship with God would be restored. So understand this. When you were born to this world, we were made this way. Genesis 1 and 2 We knew God. We had fellowship with God. Genesis chapter 3. We sinned against God. We don't know God anymore. You don't know God anymore. Relationship severed. And so right now, outside of Jesus Christ, 
This is how you are with God. You don't know Him. You're separated from Him. Who will bridge the gap? In God's courtroom, our crimes against God are overwhelming. And those crimes, they need to be accounted for. John Bunyan, Puritan writer, he rightly said, one leak will sink a ship and one sin will destroy a sinner. Yet we have sinned far more than once. But through faith, through faith in Christ, in making Christ our treasure and believing in Him, and believing in Him means giving your whole self to Him, all your life, your sins and all, that He he took those upon Himself. I believe that. And I need you to save me and take on your sin, that my sin on you for me. And coming to Him and turning away from sin and self. When you trust in Him, He comes and He takes your place. And He bears the full weight of God's punishment and wrath upon Himself that we deserve. That's why He died on the cross. Because He did. To bear the punishment, your punishment, my punishment for us. And there will be a day when you face your final breath. You may not like to think of life that way. You may not like to think of the fact that you there is a day coming outside of Christ returning that you're going to face death. And your life, you know, all the years, all your coups as an infant, the toys and the gadgets that you had, all the school and the college, the house that you got, the cars that you bought, your friends, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your aging body and COVID-19 will be behind you. And you will be done in this world. That day is coming when you will take that final breath. I'll take my final breath. And you will go to be eternally with God or to be eternally separated from God. To be punished by Him for the eons and eons to come. Well, Jesus came and experienced death for you. He took His final breath for you and for your sins that you may know and be with Him forever. And so He died for you and He was buried. That's what Paul says. So the man of the God-man died. He took His final breath for us, but it was not final. And this brings us then to Easter's central theme that He did not remain in the grave. Thus, the essential Gospel, it testifies to the real, to the historic resurrection of Christ. Jesus really, truly, and historically rose bodily from the dead. And this makes all the other points that we just walked through 
all the more serious. Jesus really is alive. He is really able to save. He really is our hope this Easter. Everything He said and did was true. And to be sure that we see this, Paul, he moves from the fact of the resurrection to the eyewitnesses of the resurrection. You know, it's interesting. In our own court system, you know, eyewitnesses, you know, as you know, they still play a key part, a key role in deciding cases. And if, you know, you have one reliable witness, just one, you may, that may be enough to settle the case. I mean, the case could be solved with just one reliable witness. But now, if, if you have 500 plus reliable witnesses, my goodness, you can say with confidence that case is solved. I mean, case closed. 500 plus people testifying to the, the, this, this has happened? Well, if you see that to be true, then see also this. That is the case with the resurrection of Christ. Cephas, the twelve, five hundred others, most still alive, James, the other apostles, and Paul all saw the resurrected Christ. Jesus really and physically appeared to them. And so, the resurrection, it is not religious fanaticism. It is true. We believe in the risen and the living Savior Jesus Christ. Risen as in present tense. He sees and knows you right now. He knows how you're responding to this message already. He knows what you're thinking. And He is saying, it is true. Listen to these words. I have come. I have died. I was buried. And I have been risen again. And I am alive now. And so the resurrection testifies to all people everywhere of a real faith in the real and the living God. It testifies that all God said is true. And it calls everyone everywhere to respond to this good news. And so God, he calls you to believe the whole gospel. He calls you to cast your whole self upon Jesus. Not to hold back, but to make him your life. Make him your treasure. Make him your portion above anything in this world. And you know what? It's all, all of it is gloriously, splendidly, and amazingly true. But we have yet to finish seeing the final part of these verses here. So behold the extraordinary power of the gospel. We see here the reality and the power of the gospel in transforming people. It has a transforming power in the life of the Apostle Paul. 
But why is that a big deal? Well, Paul zealously opposed the gospel. So if you are here and perhaps you're, 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 you've done that, you said, you know, I am zealously against Christians. I am zealously against the Bible. Well, you could not be as bad as Paul. Paul was zealously opposing the gospel, even, even putting some to death and having some put to death. But something in the midst of all that, something drastically changed with Paul. He says of himself that he was, in verse 8, one untimely born. He was vehemently opposed to the gospel and he was persecuting the church of God. And yet, in the midst of all this great hostility that he had, Jesus appeared to him. He wasn't, he wasn't seeking after Jesus. Maybe even like you are now, you're not seeking after Jesus. Maybe you just stumbled upon this uh, Facebook Live and, and you're like, I could care less, but it's not accidental. Paul, he did not believe in the claims of Jesus and he was passionately persecuting the church of Jesus. And so what changed in Paul? Well, Paul answers... In verse 10, he says, by, but, by, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. So it was God's grace that changed Paul. In the midst of his rebellion and his hostility, God changed him. And here is where we see the extraordinary power of the gospel. God can save anyone. The stark, avid atheist, the fervent follower of Islam, the person overcome and overwhelmed by their own sin, their own failures, the confused, the doubter, the drug addict, the murderer, the adulterer, poor or rich, and any and all people. Your sins may be great, but the grace of God is greater. And so receive, be saved, be changed by this incredible gospel. This Easter, be challenged by this gospel. Stand upon this gospel. Be transformed by this gospel. And if you don't know Christ this morning, may you come under the shade of this gospel. Enter gospel castle. Go to Jesus and believe He died. Believe He was buried. And believe that He now lives. Respond to this gospel. And pray to Christ. Asking Him, even now as you're hearing all this, humbling yourself and seeing that these things are indeed true. And asking Jesus to forgive you and let Him have your life. Repent and receive Christ.
and he will give you life. He will make you right with God again. Where you severed it, he's come to make you right with the Father. So don't don't tarry until you're better or you'll never come at all. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And right now, I don't know who's watching this. But Father, you do. And you know their hearts. You know where they are and what's going on in their lives. You know what they think. And just pray right now that even now you would work in their hearts. May you work if, if they are here and, and they don't know you. May you help them even now to see that there is life, there is hope. There is a reason to rejoice even now in the midst of a world that has been shaken. Pray that if there is that person right now, may they respond by turning to you, looking to your son Jesus Christ, asking him to forgive them of all their sins, trusting in him, and turning from sin and self and giving them giving Christ their whole life. May that even be their prayer. And we ask, Father, that you would do your work if even as those who are here that are believers, that are listening and hearing this, we also have seen glorious things in this and we are called to the whole gospel. Help us, Lord, to respond as well. Help us not to hear these things and think the gospel is for someone else. How far that is from your heart. We are a people who are to have received this gospel, to have and are standing in this gospel, and are people who are being saved by this gospel. And so help us, Lord. If there are those who are here that are dry and stagnant and their faith, they have been living perhaps in hypocrisy or some sin of unrepentance, may this be the day that they repent and they run to Jesus Christ, either for salvation or sanctification. May you help them, Lord, even now, to not hold back the deep parts of themselves and say, well... I'm not going to let him touch that, but we pray that they would, even now, come to you and cast their sins and burdens upon you. And pray for others. Perhaps they even now are realizing they need to get baptized. Even in the midst of all this, may they respond and see their need to obey your word. So, Father, we look to you. May may you be with us, Father, and as we have this time of singing that you would help uh, those hearing respond to your word. In Jesus' name.